There is something inside of you that wants to find the thing that you were made to do. Become confident of it. It'll change your perception of your future. Do you have the courage to think something beyond where you are? My calling will find me. In the series of Send Me, and we've been talking about the holiness of God, and we're going to continue on our text, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Notice the plural, us, speaking of the Trinity. And I said, Here am I Send me. May we be willing to say the same thing of the Lord when he asks, who can I get to do this for me? Who can I get to fulfill this mission? May we always be willing to say, here am I, send me. And this passage summarized the calling of Isaiah. And that's my first point this morning. Like Isaiah, we all have, number one, a calling. Every Christian has a calling from God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a call of God on your life. And we need to know what that calling is. And though that calling may change over time, no matter what our age, we have been called to do something that no one else can do. God has something for us to do that no one else can do. And we need to know what that calling is. And we need to realize that God is preparing us for that calling. You see, Isaiah had to be prepared before he could step out as a prophet to the nation of Judah. And we see in Wearsby's commentary, the nation needed the Lord. And the Lord wanted a servant to minister to the people. And Isaiah volunteered to be that servant. And he did not discuss his call with the Lord as did Moses and Jeremiah, but accepted the appointment and made himself available to his master. Remember when God came and called Moses, Moses didn't want to go. He gave every excuse he could. He, he tried to blame it on his speech impediment. He tried everything to get out of the calling of God. And sometimes we're like Moses, but we really need to have the heart of, I of an Isaiah and just say, here am I, send me. Will we accept our calling from God and make ourselves available to the Lord? He's looking for people that he can use for his kingdom and for his glory. And every one of us are part of that purpose, part of God's plan. You fit in somewhere. There is a, a, a puzzle piece just for you that fits you and you alone. And so the important thing is that we're available. We're willing to do whatever God calls us to do. And often God would call someone and not tell them the whole story. 
Because a lot of times if we knew the whole story, we wouldn't do it. And so some of our calling remains hidden and mysterious so that we won't back out. We need to accept our calling. Do you know what your calling is? Second Peter says we should make our calling and election sure. And so we need to know what our calling is. We need to be sure about it. Many believers are living out their calling and they don't even realize it. That's a great thing. But others are not living out their calling because they don't know what that calling is, what God has called them specifically to do. And there are many different kinds of callings. There are ministry callings, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, deacon, greeter, usher, children's worker, choir member. All of these are ministry callings, prayer intercessor. I love the prayer intercessors. No one knows what's going on, but God sure does. We have intercessors that pray. And so whatever your capacity of life, whether you're a child, a teenager, a young adult, or in your senior ages, God has a call on your life. No matter who you are, no matter how tall or short, <laughs> for the first time in our lives, Dad, being short paid off for the first time in our life. And he and I will enjoy that card together. I'm just telling you right now. And there are family callings. One of the calling is to be a father. How many of you know that being a father is a high calling? Now, there are seven things you will never hear a dad say. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. Number two, I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. Here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy! What do you mean you want, want to play football? Figure skating's not good enough for you, son? Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. A another thing a father would never say, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingies, you know, that makes it run or something. Just have it towed to a mechanic and pay whatever he asks. Sometimes that's the only time I hear from my children. They call me and I'm saying, okay, what's wrong? What's wrong with the car? And finally, another thing a father will never say, why do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. <laughs> so there is no other calling, higher calling than a father, a mother, or even a grandparent. And so you may have a ministry calling, you may have a family calling, you may have a life calling. Our jobs, our professions, our vocations, our careers. How I many you know that can be a calling done as unto the Lord? The Bible says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever God has called you to be in your profession, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever it may be, that is a call of God on your life because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and God has a plan for you and only you. It's something that only you can do, someone that only you can reach. And so your profession is your calling from God. And you serve in your profession like you're serving God. And not only are we to be sure of our calling, we need to identify what our calling is. And we may not know. And so we need to ask the Lord, what have you called me to do, God? Because every Christian is called. And not only are we to be sure of that calling, we also need to live up to that calling. Ephesians 4.1 in the New Living Translation says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, 
to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Are you living a life worthy of your calling? Because that is the key. We, we need to live up to our calling, but we also need to live a life that's worthy of that calling. God has a place and a position for each one of us in ministry, in family, and in life. And as long as we draw breath, our lives have meaning, significance, and purpose. Don't you listen to the devil to say he's, God's done with you. I'm telling you what, as long as you can take a breath, you have a call. You have a purpose. You have a plan in God's scheme of things. We have to be ready to receive that calling, to live out that calling, to live a life worthy of that calling. And so to do that, to fulfill our calling, we must practice number two, confession. I mentioned this last week, but I want to go into greater detail. Before he could fulfill his calling, Isaiah needed to be aware of his sins. And it's when the presence of God filled the temple, Isaiah realized, woe is me. I mean, we may be feeling pretty good until we get in the presence of God and we see how far we have to go. And so Isaiah had to confess. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and my people are a people of unclean lips. That's confession. He's confessing his sins. He's confessing his faults. And the Bible speaks often of the practice of confession. Now, in our faith, in our practice, you don't have to go to the priest to confess your sins. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I don't have to do that. We can go directly to God, can't we? Through Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus Christ. And so there's something about going to the Lord. He knows everything about our lives anyway. He knows everything we've done. And yet he wants us to confess it to him, to acknowledge it to him. I mean, you know, when you've been grieved against, it means a lot for that person to acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge that they've hurt you. In the same way, it means a lot to the Lord when we acknowledge our sin, we confess our sin. Look at 1 John 1, 9 in the New King James Version. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? If we confess, he forgives we confess he forgives. And Romans 10, 9 says, for salvation we need to confess. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's why whenever I lead anyone in a prayer of salvation, it first talks about they have to believe in their heart Jesus is Lord. But that's not all. Then they need to confess with their mouth. Because we need to tell somebody. And that's what I tell people. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you got to tell somebody. Because our salvation requires us to believe and confess. And then we are saved. And not only will confession purify us from sin, confession can bring healing. Not just forgiveness, but healing. Look at James 5.14. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so there are times, not only are we to confess to God, but we are to confess to others. And you have to be careful who you confess to. 
It needs to be someone safe, someone that will build you up and not tear you down. And so it's important that we have a safe place to confess with the Lord and with one another. And there is, there's something powerful about acknowledging what we've done that will bring healing to our own hearts. Isn't that amazing? Not only are we forgiven, God wants us to be healed. And so we see this in Ortland. He says these words. A seraph pills off from his flight path around the throne, diving straight for Isaiah. He's holding a burning coal that he took from the altar with tongues, but not because it's hot. After all, a seraph himself is a burning one. Remember, that's what seraph means, a burning one. He took this coal with tongs because it is a holy thing. It belongs to the place of sacrifice and atonement and forgiveness. But this holy thing touches Isaiah's dirty mouth and it does not hurt him. It heals him. What we must see in the context of the whole Bible is that this burning coal symbolizes the finished work of Christ on the cross. I imagine Isaiah saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the angel says, okay, hang on just a second, grabs a a flaming burning coal off the altar and starts flying toward him. I imagine Isaiah saying, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to hurt. If we confess our sins, we'll be forgiven and cleansed and healed. Constable says, Isaiah only acknowledged his hopeless condition. He did not plead with God or make vows to God. And God then went into action. Confession must precede cleansing. Number three, confession results in cleansing. For Isaiah, the means of his cleansing would come from the burning coals on the altar of God. Now this this image of burning coals is used in different places in the Bible. In Ezekiel, sometimes symbolic, sometimes literal. We see it mentioned First in Leviticus 16, verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. And he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. In this case, the burning coals were literal But also, as I said, it can be figurative. The Life Application Bible describes this. When Isaiah's lips were touched with a living coal, living burning coal, however, he was told that his sins were forgiven. It wasn't the coal that cleansed him, but God. In response, Isaiah submitted himself entirely entirely to God's service. No matter how difficult his task would be, he said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. The painful cleansing process. How many know when God's scrubbing our hearts, it can be painful? When God is bringing a cleansing to our lives, it can be challenging. The painful cleansing process was necessary before Isaiah could fulfill the task to which God was calling him. Before we accept God's call to speak for him to those around us, we must be cleansed. As Isaiah was, confessing our sins and submitting to God's control, letting God purify us may be painful, but what we must be purified so that we can truly represent God who is pure and holy. Amen. And so God cleanses us 
so that people can see the power of God in our lives. Because people that know us know it, we didn't get here on our own. This isn't because of us. This is a miracle of God. We're all a miracle of God. Amen? Amen. We cannot boast in our own righteousness. God does the cleansing. And the Lord does not cleanse us with a literal fiery coal, aren't you glad? But it has great meaning. The, the image of fire has great meaning throughout the Bible. In New Unger's Bible Dictionary, it says, Fire, in its symbolic use, is also spoken of as purifying. The emblem of a healing process affected upon the spiritual natures of persons in covenant with God. The fire of God can sometimes be painful, but it is purifying. It is cleansing. And we also need to keep that fire burning. How many of you know God will light the flame, but it's up to us to keep the fire going? We have to stay on fire for God. We have to stir it up in our own hearts. This is our responsibility. He'll give you the fire. It's the Holy Spirit. But you've got to fan it into flame. You've got to keep that fire burning. Some people have asked, why are you so loud up on there on, on, when you're preaching? Well, I got the fire, bless God, I hope, or something. But I will tell you, it's not always easy. I got to stir up that fire sometimes. Sometimes I'm tired. I'm worn out just like you. Sometimes I'm weary and battling the enemy just like you, but I've learned. And a lot of times, it's like when I, before I come and preach, I feel like I'm at a wrestling match when I was in high school. You know, you're waiting for the match to end before you get out there. So that's what I'm doing before the sermon. Man, I'm pacing back and forth. I'm doing push-ups. No, not really. But I'm afraid if I did push-ups, I wouldn't get back up and I couldn't come back out here. But your pastor has to stir up the fire sometimes. We all do. God gives us the flame. But we got to stir up the fire. And we got to keep that fire burning. We got to keep feeding that fire. Look at Leviticus 6.12. This is fascinating. Leviticus 6.12. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burn offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. I wonder if that's where the phrase said, pulled my fat out of the fire. Right there. The fat of fellowship. I love the fat of fellowship. Bless God. People have asked me, if you put on weight? I said, it's happy fat. It's all through happiness. And so, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. I'm, I want to challenge you today. Has your heart grown a little cool? Have the circumstances and the trials, the anxieties and worries of life tried to snuff out the flame? Because I'm telling you what, Satan fears the fire in you. He fears the fire. And it's up to us, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to add wood to the fire. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be in fellowship. You've got to be in prayer. You've got you to step into worship and participate in worship. It's where we get the fire. Because that fire does not come from us. We can't do it on our own. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised that he would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Don't let that flame go out. you got to fan it into flame. We need to stoke the fires. Before we can fulfill our calling, we must practice 
confession, and confession leads to cleansing, and our cleansing results in number four, conversion. After confessing his sin and cleansing from the coal, something had to change in Isaiah. He was a different man after this experience. The call of God will do that to you. And Constable again says, God's purging agent touched Isaiah's mouth. And the angelic messenger assured the prophet that he had been completely cleansed of his uncleanness. We might call this Isaiah's conversion experience. You know what a conversion is? It's a change. It's a 180. And after our confession and cleansing, we will be changed. There needs to be something different about us. Because before we can fulfill our calling, we have to make certain changes to what we're doing, how we're living, how we're thinking, what we're dwelling on. There's so much of the battle is in our mind, or as my mom said, between your ears. That's where the real battle is. And so we don't want to keep living this way. And if we don't want to keep living this way, then we need to make godly changes. We need a conversion experience. There was a time that that I received a Father's Day gift, and that was the freedom to go fishing on a Sunday afternoon. And I love this Father's Day gift. And so I went out fishing on a Father's Day, and I was on a pier with 9,000 other people. 9,000 other fathers who have got the same gift. But there was a woman on the pier. I don't know how she got there. This is a Father's Day thing. But what I couldn't stand is she's hauling in fish after fish, and none of us dudes there are catching a ripping thing, including me, and I'm getting frustrated, praying against her, thinking of pushing her over. No, I did not. I didn't do it. may have thought it. And so, I th- you know, whenever somebody's doing that, you kind of want to look at what they're using. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of, you know, and you don't want to ask because that's embarrassing. But so I, I will notice, you know, she's using night crawlers. I'm using night crawler- crawlers. What's the deal? Well, finally, since it was Father's Day, I humbled myself and I said, ma'am, what are you doing? Would you please tell, please tell me I got to have a fish or I can't go home today. And so she said, well, you have to thread the nightcrawler on the hook and up the line. You're bunching your nightcrawler in a big ball. You need to thread it on there and leave a little of the tail hanging off there. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. <laughs> nothing, I've been balling up my worm for so many years fishing. But I, you know what? I got desperate. And I decided to try it. And guess what? It works! I had to make the change, but it worked, bless God. And I caught the biggest perch. It was almost a two-pound perch that I've ever caught in my life. Bless God, great Father's Day ever. But you know what? Sometimes we got to humble ourselves. And we got to change the way we're doing things. Isn't that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Well, you know, if it ain't working, we got to try something else. And the Bible tells us what that is. But we have to humble ourselves and we have to ask God, God, help me. Help me change. Help me grow. I want a true conversion. 
And we need a conversion experience if we're ever going to fulfill our calling. Isaiah's calling required confession, cleansing, and changes. And now he needed number five, a consecration. What does it mean to be consecrated? We see this throughout the scriptures. The firstborn of every family was consecrated to God. And there were different things that were consecrated to the Lord when they went into the promised land. And so the Holman Bible Dictionary gives us a definition. Consecration refers to persons or things being separated to or belonging to God. They are holy and sacred, and they are set apart for the service of God. And so every, every firstborn male of the family was to be consecrated to God. And also the firstborn of the animal was sacrificed to God. They didn't sacrifice the firstborn child. They redeemed them back. But they still belong to the Lord. How I many you know when you dedicate your children up here on this stage, they are consecrated to God. They belong to him. And you're going to need to know that because they're going to grow up. They're going to become toddlers, then teenagers, then look out, adults. It doesn't get easier. I thought, I thought for sure it got easier. It doesn't. And so you will have to remind yourself, I dedicated them to the Lord. They belong to him. We are separated from our old life. And now we belong to God. We have been consecrated and set apart for a special service. There's something, I want to say it again, there's something only you can do. That God has prepared for you. Only you. Are you doing it? Are you fulfilling it? Have you consecrated to yourself to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And then God tells you what he wants you to do and say, Anything but that. Is there a second choice? Is this a multiple choice, God? I'm telling you, it's not multiple choice. The tests of God are true false. Yes, no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We are called. And when we consecrate ourselves, God makes us holy. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 7. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. This is before the Israelites would go in the promised land. Because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow him. I am the Lord who makes you holy. And so if we keep his commands, he'll make us holy. Remember I've told you, you can't be holy on your own. Holiness comes from God. It's the nature of God. But he says, if you keep my commands, I will make you holy for me. I think we're trying to achieve holiness on our own. It's not going to work. All we can do is walk in obedience as best we can. And we're not going to be perfect at that either. Isn't that true? We all fall short of God's glory. But we pursue the Lord. We pursue God like we pursue hobbies or interests, but even more so. I remember a man really had a revelation from the Lord. He had bought a new boat. And he found himself reading the owner's manual from cover to cover, every page. And while he spent hours and hours and hours reading that, that, fish, that fishing boat manual, he felt the Lord speak to him and said, I wish you'd do that with my word. And he, it was probably the first time he was so impressed by God that he put that, that manual down and began to open God's word. Now, there's nothing wrong with a fishing manual. I'm here to tell you. It's okay. <laughs> nothing wrong with a fishing boat manual. Relax. It's all right. Pastor's not asking you to put your boat on the altar. Maybe. Depends what kind of boat it is. But 
But again, if we consecrate ourselves, if we walk in obedience and we know his word, God makes us holy. And finally, we are ready for our commissioning. We are called. We are called to confess our sins. We are cleansed. We are changed. We are consecrated. And now we are commissioned. Commission means the act of granting certain powers or the authority to carry out a particular task or duty. Authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. God commissions us to act in his place, to be his hands and his feet extended. How I many you know God uses people to reach other people? God often works through humanity. God works through his people. That's why he's made us all kings and priests. It's all of us. Not just one or a few people, but God has called all of us. He has commissioned us. Not only has he told us what to do, he gives us power. He gives us authority to do it. He gives us the ability. Rarely did God call someone that the rest of the world would call. David wasn't even considered by his own father to be king material, but he was by God. When we confess and are cleansed, and when we are consecrated and transformed, we are commissioned to do what God has called us to do. The Believer's Bible Commentary says, The vision produced deep conviction of sin in the prophet and then brought him to the place of confession. And this was immediately followed by cleansing. Only then did Isaiah hear the call of the Lord. And he quickly consecrated himself to the Lord and was given his commission. There's all of it right there. And we see this principle of commissioning someone in the transition of leadership from, uh, from Moses to Joshua in, Isaiah, in Israel. Look at Numbers 27, 18. Moses was coming to the end of his life. He had served his purpose. But Moses had struck the rock twice. He had disobeyed the Lord in front of the, the, the whole nation. And as a result, he could not go into the promised land. He could only see it from afar. But you know what? Joshua was going to take the people into the land. And I just want us to understand, dads, I just want to say this to, today. I got choked up with that video. We're not perfect. And we've all made mistakes. I look back at my own life. There were many times I, could, I thought I could only be a good pastor or a good father. And many times I chose the wrong one. And so there are times like you I feel like a failure. If I could do it again. But we can't. So what we have to believe is that God is our Father and the Father of our children as well. And the, and the book of Hebrews said, you know what? We did our best. Human fathers do their best, but God makes up the rest. And so I want to minister to you fathers today. If you feel like you failed, that's the lie of the enemy. And certainly we've made mistakes. Certainly we've done things wrong. But I'm here to tell you, you should not live under that condemnation any longer. We bring it to the cross. 
We confess our sins. Sometimes we have to confess our faults to our own children, don't we? We have to tell them, I'm sorry I made that mistake. I'm sorry I said those words. And so there's a time where we confess. And you know what? If you'll confess to the Lord and, and to your children, then God will do a cleansing. God will consecrate us. So I'm changing what I wanted to do today. I just feel the Spirit's leading me to do this. I want us to sing this song. Take me in to the Holy of Holies. But I want just the, the fathers to stand, if you are able. And we're going to sing this song, and then fathers, I'm going to pray for you. So I want you to remain standing. And I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to be encouraged today. You will not leave this place with condemnation. Make certain of that. The mistakes we've made are under the blood of Jesus. And we know God can only make it. He's the only perfect father. And you know what? Even the perfect father had prodigals. And so we look to God. And we come to God. And so as we sing this song, if there's something in your heart that you want to confess to the Lord. Right where you stand. Just silently between you and the Lord. Maybe there's something God has touched your heart about that you need to confess to the Lord. Maybe there's something you need to confess to one of your children. Maybe there's just something there that God wants you to make right. It's okay, men. We got to humble ourselves before the Lord. And if we do that, He will make us whole. I want to pray for you, men. Would you just bow your heads with me? I don't want you leaving this place with condemnation and guilt. But I want you leaving this place with the fire of the Lord in your hearts. Consecrated. Commissioned. Dedicated. Cleansed and holy before the Lord. God, we stand before you as fathers knowing that we've fallen so short. But God, I thank you that you are the perfect father. And you can make up the difference, Lord, where we've fallen short where we have failed, where we've made mistakes. And we confess those faults to you today, Lord Jesus. And we ask you to take that coal from the altar and you'd cleanse our heart, cleanse our lips, heal our hearts, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We confess our faults, we confess our sins, and we believe we're not only forgiven, but we are cleansed and we are healed from a father's broken heart. Heal our hearts, God. Heal our hearts and empower us Lord, give us the fire. May we be men after your heart, God. May we long after you. May we pursue you like we've never pursued anything else in our life. May we know you deeper. May our children see a change in us. May our spouses see a change in us because we are seeking God and we have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts because we want to serve you, Lord. We want to live for you. We we're willing to die for you, God. Make us ready. Make us men of God, men after your own heart. Oh, Lord, let that fire burn. Let that fire burn. Cleanse our lips. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. We want to be pure. We want to be free. We don't want the temptations. We don't want the sins. We don't want the garbage that the world throws after us time and time again, always before our faces, Lord. We want holiness. We want righteousness. We want purity, God, that comes from you. And so we say no to the world. We say no to the world's standards. We, we say no to the temptations, the sin, the evil 
in the name of Jesus, we say no to those things and we say yes to you, God. Let the fire burn. Let the fire burn. We're going to continue to worship. And men, if there's any of you that want to come kneel in the altars, we're going to have elders here and board members to pray with you. If you want some privacy, you can just go off to the side and kneel in the altar. Men, when we start coming to the altar, our children will start coming to the altar as well. The statistics are proven. The majority of the children, it's because of the father's spiritual influence. So wherever we're at, we're leaving the past behind, but wherever we're at now, we're expecting a new call of God on our life. How many know God gives us a new call for a different season of our life? And so, men, if you want to kneel and pray, you're welcome to. If you want to receive prayer from one of our elders or board members, you're welcome to. And the rest of us will keep our conversation to the foyer because I think there are, there's a holy moment going on right here. And there may be more of you that feel you need to come to the altar. You need that coal to touch your lips. So I'm going to ask Nathan just to continue to worship and pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Would you come?